Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Rick Kiley. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. Thank you so much for coming early to morning prayer, pushing yourself out of bed, getting to the house of God, and spending time with Him and for this service. I really, really appreciate that. Just a reminder in your bulletin as well that we do not have family prayer tomorrow night. We have it on the second and the fourth Mondays, and we have family prayer on the first and third Fridays. So no family prayer tomorrow night. Now while you're turning to John chapter six, let me set the stage for you. Jesus has just said a hard thing to his disciples. He said, except you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you will have no part in me. And they thought, being with their natural understanding, he was speaking of cannibalism, that they would literally have to eat his body and drink his blood, and they have been instructed in the law that they are never to eat anything with blood on it. And so they have received a hard saying. Now we as Christians know what he meant. We know that he meant that his flesh was the word of God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We know what he meant. We know that the blood must be applied and be a part of our lives for us to be saved. They didn't know that. They thought it was cannibalism. They lacked understanding. So in John chapter six and verse 60, it reads this way. Many therefore of his disciples when they heard this said, this is a hard saying. Who can hear it? And when Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, He said unto them, and remember this word, doth this offend you? Verse 66 reads this way, and from that time many of his disciples went back and they walked no more with him. Can you feel the disappointment that Jesus is feeling right now? He looks out at his congregation. He says a hard thing. He has healed their sick. He has preached to them. He's done everything he knows in his power to do to make them disciples. And in one moment, in one point, they are so offended that they turn their back on him and they walk with him no more. And it wasn't a few. It was a church split. Many got up and left. So then he turns to his 12 and he says, will you also go away? Listen to Simon Peter. You can be critical of him if you want to. But I'm telling you, this guy comes up with the right answer a lot of times. Lord, To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. What else is there? 
Where are we going to go to church if we're not with you? There's no place else to go. And we believe and we are sure that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Mm. And today I want to preach to you on this subject, the power of perseverance. God bless you. You may be seated. Now you're going to have to indulge me just a little bit this morning because I can relate to some degree to Jesus and what he went through with the loss of disciples. I remember when I was a brand new Christian, first coming into the church, and I remember reading Matthew chapter 24 and and how Jesus said, two will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken, the other left. Assuming that they were both believers, but one of them was left behind. And then I remember him saying that Two would be in the bed, and I assumed that that would be a husband and his wife. And he said one of them would be taken, and one would be left. And I began to think in my mind that perhaps 50% of the believers won't be ready for the rapture. They'll be left behind. I ran that idea by, by my pastor, and he seemed to indicate that in all likelihood, there would be a large, large number of people that thought they were going to heaven or that had started on their journey for heaven, but somewhere along the line they got derailed and they would be left behind. And I determined right then and there that I was gonna do everything I could to finish what I started. I remember seeing a billboard for a number of months as I drove on the freeway and had a picture of John Wayne on it. And underneath it said, don't much care for quitters, son. And I thought, I'm with you on that one. Don't much care for quitters, son. I look around in this congregation today, if you were to judge abundant life and it's 40 years of existence and you looked at it and said, is this all you got for 40 years? You would be grossly underestimating what God has done, not only in this assembly, but in many other churches in the area. You would be miscalculating. But, I, but nonetheless, I can still look at where people once sat and they're not sitting there anymore. And it's disappointing because the enemy is not happy that you're a Christian. And he is going to do everything in his power to win you back. Now today I'm going to give you this little bit of teaching before I preach to you. I believe that there are three things that he's extremely good at in getting you to turn back to where you once came from. The first thing he uses is persecution. He used it against the early church. It was the first weapon that he used. He tried to instill fear in the believers that if they confessed, if they practiced, if they walked in this way, that they would either be jailed or perhaps even killed, martyred for their faith. 
I would argue the point that that did not work very well. Although some gave their lives, many that were in the position of neutral said, if these people are willing to die for what they believe, tell me what they believe. If it's that important, I should make an intelligent decision for myself. And it led to many new converts. But the persecution that we face in America today, unlike other nations where we are seeing Christians that are being martyred, the persecution we suffer comes from the media, it comes from the movies, it comes from our family, and it comes from our friends. Some people are not walking with God today because their parents said, we would be disappointed if you left us for this cult. Let me, by the way, let me tell you about a cult. A cult is a religion where a man is in charge. And what the man says is every bit as good as what God says. This is not a cult. I have never asked you to follow me. I would not ask you to follow me. I want you to follow Christ. He needs to be your Lord, your Savior, your King, everything. He's your everything. And if you think this is a cult, how come we can't keep people? This is the easiest church in the world to walk out of. I've seen people walk with God for 20 years. And one day, just like in John chapter six, they got offended, gone. They're like Gruber Law, one call, that's all. Just let you know I ain't coming back anymore, you're a bunch of hypocrites, I don't like this and I don't like that, wham! Just like that, it's that easy. And we don't send anybody out to pick you up. We don't send you a bill for your tithes and your offerings. It's so easy to walk out. I remember saying to my pastor, Pastor Tamil, how do people do it? He said, you better pray that you never find out. But as for me and my house, You want to walk out? You got offended? Somebody made you mad? You disagree with this? You disagree with that? It's easy for you to walk up? You want to stand up and wave bye-bye? Okay, but as for me, you got to have an attitude that if I'm the last one standing, I'm standing, I'm not quitting, I'm not giving up. I am going to persevere. I will finish this race alone if I have to. Folks, you've got to have that kind of an attitude. If you don't, you're only walking with people. Well, you know, you know, Brother Matson, if you walk out, you know, you're pretty important around here. I just, I, I think the whole thing's just going to fold right up. Well, if it is, it wasn't the church of Jesus Christ. It was the church of Cliff Matson or Rick Kiley or somebody else. But the gates of hell shall not prevail against the 
church of Jesus Christ. I remember as a young man, I was so impressed. I'm only going to, no, you know what? I am going to give you the name. There was a man named Mark Hanby, the greatest preacher I have ever heard in my life. He could almost keep you spellbound. I mean, this guy, wow. I've never heard anybody preach like him. I used to get every tape I could on this guy. I'd play him all the time. I remember people that would leave Parkway and move down to Dallas, Texas, just so that they could go to school there or just so that they could hear him on a regular basis. He would preach camps all over the country. People would steal his notes and his messages and plagiarize him all the time. What a tremendous, tremendous preacher. And I admired him and I wanted to be like him until I found out that he was cheating on his wife, flying in with airline stewardesses, and in bars drinking and carrying on. He lost his license, he was removed from the ministry. And I said, God, how can this be? You know, some people are good orators. They're just good. They're good at speaking. And God can use any donkey. He's done it before, he can do it again. But when you put your faith in man, I'm not convinced that you will persevere. Because men are gonna fail you. I, I, have, I have stood before this congregation over the years on numerous occasions and I have apologized to you for failures, not moral failures, but things I could have done better or things I did that I, that I shouldn't have done. And they weren't sinful, but I let you down. I failed you and I told you how sorry I was and I asked you for another chance and, and you were gracious with me. But don't put your faith in men. Put your faith in God. Walk with God. Somebody say amen. amen. Persecution is the first thing that Satan will bring to us. And you can say, well, I don't see any persecution. You're probably not witnessing. They're talking about TV programs. You just walk away. You don't offer your opinion. You don't, you don't say what you think needs to be said about morality because you're afraid of rejection. We all are. And so we don't feel great persecution because we just shut up. We need to be a bit more vocal. We need to be able to say, hey, wait a minute, I don't think that's right. According to what I see in the word of God, this is what is required of us. These are not the 10 commandments. These are the 10 commandments, not the 10 suggestions. Anybody with me? And if you're gonna stand up for what's right, not everybody's gonna appreciate you. Not everybody's gonna agree with you. But the only thing necessary for evil to triumph is that good men and good women do nothing. Somebody's gotta stand up, and if you do, there's gonna be some persecution. The second thing that Satan has used as a weapon to get you to fall away is change the doctrine. Doctrine means teaching. 
Okay, it's not a scary word, just means teaching. The doctrine of teaching, teaching of what? For instance, the teaching of the Trinity that was instituted in 325 AD at the Council of Nicaea. We're gonna change the doctrine. We're gonna go from monotheistic, mono meaning one, theo meaning God, one God believers, to tritheistic, three gods. We're gonna change that in 325 AD. We're gonna change the mode of baptism from immersion to sprinkling. We're going to change the method of baptism from the, t- from the name of Jesus, which is the only way that anyone has ever baptized in the scripture, and neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. So let's change it. Let's give it titles. Let's take away the power and the ownership of the name. And so we change the doctrine. Folks, we better have a love for the truth. Buy the truth, sell it not. Wrap it around your neck, wear it. Talk about it all the time, read about it all the time. Confirm your faith in the word of God because if you don't know the word of God, Satan will trip you up. He did it with Eve, hath God said. Do you know what God said, Eve? He wants to know how much you know about the word of God. He hopes that you can't attack him with the word of God as Jesus did in his temptations. We need to know the word of God and we need to hold fast to the word of God. And if it's not in the word of God, it's philosophy, tradition, rudiments of this world, and not after Christ. Hold on to the word of God. And then the third thing he uses is distractions. I've lived a while now. I've I've been in the church 45 years. I can remember, (laughs) this was on my walk today, I remember thinking of this on my walk. I can remember a day when no stores were open on Sunday. Nobody goes out to eat. Nobody does any shopping. Well, I need a loaf of bread. Too bad, you should have got it on Saturday. Because everybody in this country goes to church on Sunday morning and then the rest of the day is family day. We put the best TV shows on. The wonderful world of Disney. Ponderosa. We put those kind of shows on on Sunday night, family night. I remember when I came to Oconomowoc and I was a part of the Ministers Association and the public schools agreed we will have no practices or games on Wednesday nights because there are too many churches in this community that have services on Wednesday night. And I'm not just talking about Easter time. I'm talking about year-round Wednesday night services. We will schedule no school activities on Wednesday night. 
My, how things have changed. I know of one school that has a graduation at 10 o'clock on Sunday morning next week. 10 o'clock on a Sunday morning. Where have we gone? Distractions. There are more distractions today than there have ever been in our history. Here's a distraction right here. Do you know, technically, I could stop talking and text my way through life. I have seen people in the same room, instead of talking, they're texting each other. What is that? Now, I mean, if you got something really quick you want to say and it's a yes or no answer, maybe it's okay. But when you text back and forth five and six times, wouldn't it have been easier to just make a phone call? iPads. I'm preaching from an iPad. Computers. TV. Hundreds of channels. Movies. Everywhere. Sports. Concerts. All kinds of activities that you can be involved in. And you have to make decisions every day as to what your priorities are and what's important to you. And it's tough because there's a lot of distractions out there. Can somebody say amen? And a lot of these distractions are not good. They're not good. Hmm. Let Let me share this with you. I want to share the parable of the sower. Matthew chapter 13. We are all one of these four types of soil. Take a look at yourself first. Hear the parable of the sower. Matthew 13, 18. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and he understands it not, then cometh the wicked one, catches away that which is sown in his heart. Who's the wicked one? Satan. He doesn't understand, so the first thing he does is he steals the seed. He received it by the wayside. He never really got started at all. It was was like you were talking to the air. Have you ever met anybody like that? I mean, they ain't hearing a word you're saying. They're not interested. They don't desire to know. And Satan takes it right away and it's gone. The second is in 20. He that received the seed in stony places, the same as he that hears the word and anon with joy, he receives it, but he doesn't have any root in what? Himself. So he endures for a while, but when, here it is, tribulation, or persecution arises because of the word, by and by he is offended. This is the second thing that gets people to turn back, their offenses. 
you said something to me hurt my feelings. <laughs> I remember one time, pardon me for being a little flippant about this, but I remember one time I was standing at the door shaking hands of people that were leaving church and this guy came up at the end of service. I thought we had a great service. I was feeling great. He comes up and he said, this is my last service. I ain't coming back here ever again. I said, well, I'm real sorry to hear that. He said, well, you probably want to know why, so I'm going to tell you. I said, all right. He said, this church is full of hypocrites. I said, well, I'm real sorry that you feel that way. I said, but I got a question for you. Yeah? I said, if you step off that curb today and car comes and knocks you over, what do you want me to do about it? He said, well, you come on out and pray for me. I said, all right, anything else? He said, well, call an ambulance. I said, an ambulance? Yeah, I need to get to the hospital. I said, why are you going to the hospital? Everybody there is sick or injured. Hey, there aren't perfect people in this place, but you're not perfect either. You've got faults. You've made mistakes. You just had your pastor a few minutes ago admit that he's made mistakes. Surely you can humble yourself enough to say, I have made my share of mistakes. I am not perfect. If you're looking for a perfect church, don't join it because it won't be perfect anymore. But offenses take so many people out. They think it's going to be different somewhere else. Or they think that, you know, I, I'm just going to worship God from my tree stand. I'm going to worship God at my coffee table on Sunday morning. I'm not going to church anymore. You don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Whoa, whoa, whoa wait a minute. How can you be, call yourself a Christian and not be a part of where Christ is doing something and you're part of the body of Christ? How does that work? Look at the day of Pentecost when God first poured out his spirit. What was common? They were all in one accord. They weren't thinking about deer hunting. They were all in one accord and they were in one This is the way it works, folks. We're the body of Christ, and the body needs to minister to the body. But when we get offended, can we recognize that it's the enemy trying to divide us and pull us out? Think. If you were the enemy, what would you do? He'd accent Offenses. So I, I, I'm obligated to say it to you again for the thousandth time. If your brother offends you, go to him. Pray, humble yourself, get yourself under control. Don't go in anger. Get yourself under control. Sir, here, pick up Brother Cordell. Brother Cordell, you know, I really, here's how you do it. I'm giving you an example now, Okay. Brother Cordell, I really value our relationship. We've been friends a long time. But I gotta bring something to your attention. You said something to me the other day that really cut me and hurt me. And, and I'll speak this just to you and I. And I say that, and then I say again, 
and I really value our relationship and I want to get this straightened out between the two of us. 90% of situations that are handled in that way will be handled. Brother Carl will say, oh, I didn't mean it that way, Brother Kylie. I'm so sorry. I value our relationship too. I'll try and be more careful about the things I say. It's over. That's it. But instead, you know what we do? Brother Cordell offended me. Now, Joyce, I got, I got to bear my soul to somebody. Somebody's got to help me with this problem. This Cordell guy over here, he, yeah. Oh, yeah, see, you agree with me. That's exactly what I'm looking for. You're my new best friend. That guy over there. That's what we do. We try and get as many people on our side instead of making it right with the person. Now let's say that he and I can't make it right. I have instructed you and I will instruct you again. We have several pastors in this church. Do not take another saint with you to correct a problem that you can't fix. Take one of our pastors. Somebody say amen. amen. Let them be the second witness. Because if this problem can't be resolved, even with the pastors, then it needs to be brought before the congregation. But we skip the process. And we go to one another and complain about one another instead of going to the person and making it right. And Satan is smiling and laughing and dividing people. We gotta shut that down. Somebody said amen. amen. And then there's this third group, Matthew 13, 22. He also that receives seed among the thorns is he that hears the word. The care of this world, the deceitfulness of riches chokes the word and he becomes unfruitful. What is that? Distractions. The second seed was persecutions and tribulations. But the third soil was distractions, the cares of this world. I'm warning you folks, I'm warning you. I've, it took me a long time to figure it out. And if I can help you, that's what I'm trying to do. We spend too much time on talk radio programs, newscasts of any kind. I'm not saying we should stick our head in the sand and not know anything that's going on, but I can listen to the news in a five minute broadcast at the top of the hour on WTMJ and know all I need to know. I don't need to watch Fox News every night, CNN, I get sick to my stomach if I try and watch the news for 17 minutes from 10 to 10.17 until the weather comes on. I can get sick. It can ruin my night's sleep. There is no good news. Distractions, fear, worry, anxiety. And he repeats it. Fear, worry, anxiety. The North Koreans... President Trump did this. this. This is going to be a world crisis. Global warming. The caps are going to melt. We're all going to drown. 
You think that way long enough, you're going to get sick. Who's in charge here anyway? Who has the final say? Who created this situation? And who's the only one that can make it work right? We need to trust God. Trust God. But this, these distractions, we got to do something about that. Now that's enough negativity. Let me give you the positive. Matthew 13 Verse 23, but he that received the seed into good ground is he that hears the word, he understands it. Somebody said amen. I get it. I know what God's trying to say. And here's what happens next. He bears fruit. He reproduces himself in other people's lives. He's talking so positive that he won't let any negativity creep in. God healed me of cancer. What do you got to say about that? How are you going to refute that? My wife and I were struggling in our marriage, but one day we came to an altar and God wrapped his arms around us, saved us, changed us, saved our marriage, blessed our family. That's the way you need to talk because they're going through what you once went through. And they need to hear that God can do for them what he's already done for you. And when you talk that way, when you present this gospel in a positive manner, you can reproduce yourself in other people's lives. I remember what it was like to be baptized in Jesus' name. How I came up out of the water and felt like I didn't have a care in the world. Like all my sins were washed away. Who wouldn't want that? Who wouldn't want the power of the Holy Ghost in their life? Reproduce yourself. So let me, let me see if I can wrap this up for you today. Joseph came from a dysfunctional family. His father, maybe his father made a mistake. He made him a special coat. It appears he showed him some favoritism. And the brothers didn't like it. Do you know who Joseph is like? He's the Christian. Jacob is, is, is his father, but God is our father. And he has shown us favor. And he has shared things with us that he hasn't shared with others. And the world is going to be jealous about you and what you have. And don't look for them to like you all the time. And so these brothers decided, we're going to get rid of this dreamer. And they threw him in a pit. And eventually, the enemies came along, and they said, hey, how about you take our brother with you back to Egypt? We want to get rid of him. Just give us a little something, and we'll be rid of him, and you can make some money on the deal. That's what they did to their own brother. I'd say that's persecution. I'd say that promotes tribulation. I'd say if I was Joseph, I'd, I'd be a little bit upset. I'd be offended. Not this guy. He gets to Egypt. He gets sold on a block. He becomes a slave. He can't speak the language. He doesn't have any friends. 
All he's got is his relationship with God. But do you know what he does in his situation? He perseveres, and here's how he does it. God is for me. God has given me dreams and visions. He's promised that wherever I am, he's gonna take care of me. So if I'm gonna be a slave, then I'm gonna be the best slave Egypt has ever seen. And Potiphar is so impressed with this guy that pretty soon he's running everything in the house. Things are getting pretty good. There's some improvement there. But the enemy comes along and Potiphar's wife lusts after him and tries to get him to commit a sin against God. I'm I'm not reading the scripture, I'm telling you the story. And he says, no, I I can't lie with you. Your your husband has entrusted me with everything in his house, but you belong to him and I cannot sin against my God. She takes his coat. He runs out of the house. She frames him and says, look what this guy tried to do. He tried to rape me. And Potiphar comes home and he ends up in prison. Not going so good now, is it? But if I'm going to be in prison, then I'm going to be a model prisoner. And sure enough, he gains the favor of the people that are in charge of the prison and he runs the prison. Eventually, he becomes second in command to all of Egypt because he interprets the dreams of Pharaoh and saves them from starvation. All because of his perseverance. He won't quit. He even forgives his brother. Forgives him. And says, you thought to do it for evil, but God thought to do it for good. That's perseverance. Let me read to you about a man that has always impressed me very much. Let me tell you just a brief history of this man. In 1816, his family was forced out of their home. He had to go to work to support them. 1818, his mother died. 1831, he failed in business. 1832, he ran for the state legislature. He lost. 1832, he also lost his job. He wanted to go to law school, but he couldn't get in. 1833, he borrowed some money from a friend to begin a business. By the end of the year, he was bankrupt. But did he declare bankruptcy? No. He spent the next 17 years of his life paying off the debt. 1834, he ran for the state legislature. He won. 1835, he was engaged to be married, but his sweetheart died. His heart was broken. 1836, he had a total nervous breakdown. He was in bed for six months. 1838, he sought to become Speaker of the State Legislature. He was defeated. 1840, he sought to become an elector. Again, he was defeated. 1843, he ran for Congress. He lost. 1846, he ran for Congress again. This time, he won. And he went to Washington. And he did a good job. In 1848, he ran for re-election to Congress, but he lost. 1849, he sought the job of land officer in his home state, but he was rejected by his own. 1854, he ran for Senate of the United States, lost. 1856, 
sought the vice presidential nomination at his party's national convention and got 100 votes. That's it. 1858, he ran for U.S. Senate again, and again he lost. But in 1860, he became the 16th president of the United States of America and was perhaps the greatest president that American history has ever seen. His name was Abraham Lincoln. Nobody, nobody persevered any more than Abraham Lincoln. You see, there's a power in perseverance. I'm not quitting. I'm not giving up. I'm going to keep trying. King David, such a great king, right? You're an adulterer. You took another man's wife. You're an adulterer. You should be killed for that. And to make matters worse, you had her husband killed. Now you're a murderer. An adulterer and a murderer. Why am I telling you this? Because there are people in this congregation that feel that they're not worthy to continue on. And some of them have quit because they feel they're so unworthy. But do you know what David did? When the man of God came to him and pointed out his sin that he thought he could get away with, you need to read the 51st Psalm. He fell on his face and wept like a baby. He cried out in repentance. He asked for mercy. And you know what God did for him versus what he did for Saul? He restored him. Because of his perseverance and because his heart was after or in pursuit of God. That's what perseverance can do for you. You are going to fall on your face. You are going to make mistakes. I don't know how severe they're going to be. But when they happen, you have a choice to make. You can sit there and feel sorry for yourself. You can turn your back on God and walk away and feel guilty for the rest of your life. Or you can hit your knees, fall on your face before God, confess your sin to God and God alone. Tell him how much you love him and cry out for his mercy. Make him promises that you're going to get up and try again and that you won't quit, that you will persevere. And God will show you his mercy endureth to all generations. Let's stand together. When things go wrong, as they sometimes will, when the road you're trudging seems all uphill, when funds are low and debts are high, and you want to smile but you have to sigh, when care is pressing you down a bit, rest if you must, but don't you quit. Life is queer with its twists and turns as every one of us sometimes learns. Many a fellow turns about when he might have won if he'd stuck it out. Don't give up because the pace seems slow. You may succeed with another blow. Often the goal is nearer than it seems to a faint and faltering man. 
Often the struggler has given up when he might have captured the victor's cup. And he learned too late when the night came down how close he was to the golden crown. Success is failure turned inside out. It's the silver tint in the clouds of doubt. And you can never tell how close you are. It might be near when it seems so far. So stick to the fight when your heart is hit. It's when things seem worst that you must not quit. Must not quit. Romans 8 and 38 says this, I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor powers nor things present nor things to come, nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Jesus, I pray today, I pray for people that are struggling, that feel like they're failing, like they're not gonna be able to finish. They feel like they're hanging on by a thread or they've tied the knot and they're just holding on for dear life. I pray, Lord, that they would come to this altar today and receive the strength that you provide because your strength is made perfect in our weakness. Your strength is perfect when our strength is gone. You'll carry us when we can't carry. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.